0: Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Felix von Herter, co-founder of the awesome no-alcohol beer, Freestar Drinks. Coming up on today's show... Felix tells us how he's been preparing for the show. You know, I've been drinking gin all week. (laughs) Phil talks of a troublesome childhood. You know, we were, for want of a better phrase, brought up on alcohol. And Felix reveals one of the more quirkier jobs he's had.
1: I've had days, you know, smelling
0: people's hair. All that and so much more as Felix talks us through his story and journey to date, as well as some incredible insight into how Freestar was born and the tenacity you need to get something right. If you're enjoying the shows, we'd love for you to hit subscribe and give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Let's share those stories as far as we can. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Now, behind everything you see in the hospitality industry, whether that's an experience or uh, a product or whatever, there is a whole world of supply. So today we delve into that a little bit and we welcome someone from the drinks world. But not only that, they're in one of what I would regard as the, the, the hottest categories of the moment, which is the low and no section. So I'm delighted to welcome one of the founders of Alcohol Free Legends, Freestar, none other than Felix von Herter.
1: Cheers, Phil. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yes, I think Legends is probably <laughs> a bit early for that, but um, I really appreciate it. So yeah, I'm very happy. No, to be
0: here. I, I, I say that as a as a drinker of your product. So <laughs> I I got a hundred percent marketed to on Facebook uh, as I was in the in the hunt for a. A no or low alcohol beer that actually tastes a little bit like beer and uh, of course you do one search on Google and you drop it and then the next time you go on Facebook and there you were and <laughs> um, I was immediately struck by your, your branding I thought it was all it's very it, a kind of a nice in your face it's very striking and, uh, and I thought I'll give that a go and was really impressed and that's when I kind of reached out to you and wondered if you'd like a chat.
1: Nice. Well, I'm glad it's working. I mean, you know, Facebook advertising is one of the kind of only channels we have left um, in terms of, you know, building the brand and and driving sales. So we've been heavily focused on it, um, as you might imagine. And um, yeah, we're glad to see some conversions.
0: <laughs> yeah, it worked. It worked. <laughs> and so how are you anyway?
1: Really well, really well. We are... Um, we are, well, we've, I guess like a lot of drinks um, brands, we've been slightly treading water. Well, drinks brands with any kind of focus on, you know, the on-trade and hospitality. Uh, yeah. We've been slightly treading water for the last year. We have kept our team nice and lean and, and just focused on you know, where we can sell and actually grow awareness. So that, as you can imagine, has been online. It's been yeah. in our retail partners. We're in the likes of Sainsbury's, Accardo. We do have an Amazon listing, but it's been, it's been hard because, you know, the real exciting brand building for a premium drinks brand takes place in the entree. It takes place in the hospitality world because it's such a wonderful experience that, consumers have when they're in a great bar or restaurant you know the food the actual hospitality the music the atmosphere if they then discover a great premium drink there then you know that brand gets all of that association and so you know it's no surprise to anyone that brands have been building their brands in the on trade for Mm. however long and have been seeing success of it because there's this experience that comes with it you know drinks are, are, are very often a kind of They're not the star of the show. They're an accompaniment to a meal or they're something you have while you're doing something else. Um, And so being present in somewhere highly experiential, like a phenomenal bar, restaurant, a gig venue, any kind of hospitality experience um, is just crucial for a small premium drinks brand to actually gain any kind of traction and grow.
0: Yeah, but uh, the opportunity to flourish, I suppose, rather than, as you say, just, just sort of treading water.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So uh, we've been desperate for for things to reopen. And, you know, we're based in London, which is just kind of there's, a, there's an embarrassment of riches of hospitality here that you know we can go after so we're really lucky to be in the city and and to have the different you know different types of industry that we can actually build the brand in but you know what's been punishing is that actually the kind of the most exciting experiential parts of the industry have actually been hit the hardest so that could be you know live gig venues or you know some of these indoor food halls you know anywhere where you have like a high concentration of people essentially a lot of atmosphere and a lot and a lot of fun yeah um we're excited about beer gardens reopening next week but um but really uh the kind of the most experiential have been have been closed for the longest time
0: yeah no doubt great okay well we'll come on to um a, a little bit more about what you guys are and and what itch you scratched to to exist in the first place but before we kind of get there if you could take us all the way back to the the beginning of your your career and and just talk us through how well talk us through your journey really and and how you've ended up doing this.
1: Uh, Nice yeah so um, I've been working in food and drink for I guess the past 10-12 years basically since I graduated. um, I I went straight from university into a a fragrance and flavor house which sounds kind of mad but essentially there are these giant businesses which exist which supply flavors and fragrances to other giant businesses like unilever l'oreal etc and i was working okay. there for about four years and it's kind of a willy wonka kind of you know industry <laughs> you know i'd have days you know smelling people's hair for for shampoo samples then we would go and we had a burger king test kitchen on site where we would be tasting the new you know onion ring flavors that were coming out and it was all sorts of powders and labs and it was a very kind of i mean it was there was natural flavors and synthetic flavors it was a a real kind of hidden industry if you will i mean yeah but um but really i was really interested it was it was really interesting and some of the stuff that you learn, you know, you know, there's certain foods that I'll never eat again, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, But there, but it was an amazing experience into the world of food and flavors, but it was big business. It was it was a B2B business. I wasn't close to the consumer facing products. You know, we would sell the flavors to, you know, Unilever. They would then put it into Ben and Jerry's or whatever it was. So, you know, you'll step right. away from the consumer. And I had this real itch to learn more about you know actual brand building and get close to the consumer. So I left and went and worked for a startup in one of my favorite kind of sub segments of the industry, which was spirits. And I worked for Sipsmith Gin Distillery for best part of five years. Joined as one of their first employees and managed their European business, uh, the export basically. And um, gin, as you well know, exploded. Is still. Growing is still a huge category over at whiskey for the first time a few years ago in the UK. Did um, really? I yeah. Know that. Yeah. It's, um, it's kind of endless iterations of flavors now just continuing to grow the category. And, you know, you've got pink gin and fruit gins and all sorts, but um, mm. Sipsmith founders were kind of spearheaded the Renaissance of gin. Probably, you know, as much to do with it as well as the, the fever tree guys who, you know, also helped. You know that
0: whole explosion. Yeah, well, I mean, the the tonic element is uh, reasonably important exactly. as, it, <laughs> exactly. as it transpires.
1: <laughs> exactly, and um, and i and I got an amazing kind of education, I guess, professional education on how to build a premium drinks brand. But it was while I was working there. Working really hard, you know, it was a startup. Like it was really demanding hours, and it was very kind of yeah. It was a, it was a, it was a very uh, volatile work environment. You'd be doing you know, flights and 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 long days and long nights, and you know you'd have to entertain the weeks and the weekends. And so it was it was tough. And there were days when I would want to see my friends outside of work, and I want to see them in a pub or a bar, or a restaurant or whatever. Go to a gig, but I didn't want to drink alcohol. I'd been you Know, I've been drinking gin all week. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and there were just times when actually I just wanted to have the social occasion, but I didn't want to have the effects of alcohol. And I, I had an early start the next day, or I'd, you know, had a long day that day, whatever it was. And I'd often meet up with two buddies of mine, Eddie and Charlie, who were both under similar kind of pressures. Eddie was, working as the finance director at Propercorn, the, the the British popcorn snack brand. Right. And Charlie was actually working for Tesla in the UK an island charging division heading up their commercial strategy. So, um, you know, he was also working for a pretty volatile boss <laughs> and, um, yeah. and was under an immense amount of stress. And so the three of us had this shared experience. This was, this was now going back about four years now. And at the time, you know, we'd be sat in a pub. And at the time, the options, they were really, they were really poor, to be frank. You know, you'd have, you'd have your, your soft drinks, which didn't feel very adult. You'd have um, lime and soda or water, which was obviously quite dull as an option. And then there oh, you, was. You
0: call uh, lime and soda something else on your website. Yeah,
1: <laughs> a layman soda. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah I like I mean, that.
1: You're never going to really, like, you know, cheers your mate with a, with a lime and soda. You know, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a functional. It's a good functional thirst quencher but you know there's no stature there and so and then there were some alcohol free beers at that time but they were the kind of macro beers you know the big ones we've heard of and they were kind of sat at the bottom of the fridge at the back and they also felt like we were compromising when we chose to have one of those the flavor wasn't really up to it the brand itself we weren't that proud to hold it in our hand and we just felt that actually there's an opportunity here for someone to come along and create a great tasting beer with a great looking brand that's good. We're going to be proud to hold in our hand that we're happily cheers with our mates and crucially that we'd happily have three or four of in a session as we would normal beers, yeah. full, full strength, yeah, yeah. full strength beers, I should say. And essentially that was the kind of the, the, the start of it. We started looking into how, how cold free beers are made. We started looking into the whole industry as a whole. And we swiftly realized that there was this really kind of illogical production process, and essentially, at that time, 90 percent of alcohol, 99 percent of alcohol-free beers, were made the same way. They were made by brewing a full-strength beer to four or five percent, or whatever it was, and then dealkalizing it. And that dealkalization process was either done through boiling it off. So you'd, you'd raise the temperature. The boiling temperature of alcohol is around seventy-nine degrees. You know, water is a hundred. So you'd raise the temperature to eighty degrees Celsius. At that point, the alcohol boils off. The water remains. But what you're left with is, a yes, a dealkalized beer. But you've also ripped the kind of soul out of the beer. That process is super destructive to flavor. It boils off a lot of the the lovely fresh, like hot notes, and the kind of the the biscuity malted notes are the only ones you're left with. So you have this kind of what we would call a ghost of a beer. And it was right. this kind of remnants, you know, of a beer. Yeah, as I said, it really felt like it had the life sucked out of it because it literally had. But not only did that process seemed damaging from a flavor perspective, but when you think about the brewing process, it's it's quite, you know, it's quite a wasteful process. You have the brewing, you know, all the brewing steps, the mashing, everything that goes you know that happens in a brewery. It takes not only a lot of energy, but there's also a lot of water wastage. You also have the spent grain, and there's an enormous amount of time and energy and labor. It's a labor of love, but you know, rightly so, to create this wonderful brewed product. To then undo all of that by dealkalizing, which takes further energy and requires further water and creates more waste. It just yeah. seemed seemed like you were, you know, going. Just why would you start with alcohol in it if you're going to take it out of the end? And why not start with the end goal in mind and create something which is fit for purpose?
0: That seems completely logical, that <laughs> conclusion. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is is that under, I'm putting normal and in inverted commas here, normal circumstances being mm-hmm. the old way of uh, brewing uh, non-alcohol or low-alcohol beer, is that there's this whole extra step. So in actual fact, it's more expensive to produce non-alcoholic beer than it is the actual beer itself.
1: Definitely. Yeah, yes, for sure. Because, you know, I mean, the the, the alkalization kit is very expensive. And as I said, it requires more time, more energy, creates more waste, so that you've got all of these extra expenses incurred. So there is a kind of, I guess, there's an understand, I understand why alcohol-free beer is is is, is priced at the same level as as beer because there is a huge amount of expense and energy and time that goes into producing it. Mm. But the but the process is just wasteful. It 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 doesn't make sense to us from a from a you know from an environmental impact perspective as well as a flavor perspective. And so and a
0: commercial and
1: and and a commercial perspective um although the kind of the solution that we found hasn't uh, hasn't yet been commercially um beneficial to us yet because it is a new way of making things it's expensive uh i can right. tell you more about it now but that we have more ingredients and no one's ever done it before so it's not like we have a a huge amount of manufacturing options that we can go to and get it made
0: yeah but You're pioneering
1: uh, well yeah. <laughs> yes, no no, it is, it's
0: legends <laughs> and pioneering. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, I think um it yeah, was certainly the first to do it this way and yeah, I hope that others will follow because it's um it has some has some real benefits. But we yeah, we, so we started looking into it and and essentially we felt that actually if we could create a beer without creating any alcohol in the process whatsoever, then actually we could create something which was a going to be tastier and B was going to have a more positive impact on the planet which is really important to us so Mm. we started looking at blending and blending all natural ingredients the same you know core ingredients that you find in beer i.e malted barley and uh, a variety of hops and foregoing the yeast so not putting any yeast in there whatsoever so therefore having none of the you know production of alcohol as a result of the yeast Uh, converting the sugar into alcohol so no yeast no alcohol produced whatsoever and the result took us two years we probably tasted 400 plus recipes but the result yeah and we were doing this so we had to stay you know it cost money to do this kind of product product development and so we stayed in our jobs and actually used our salaries to fund the product development and partnered with a really phenomenal someone who calls himself a liquid engineer
0: Nice, I like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, he's a, a real genius. And he, and he took on the project. And um, yeah, we were, we were tasting weekends, evenings. There was, a, you know, there was mornings before work. We would meet up and taste new samples that had been sent down to us. And yeah, after, after, after two years in January 2019, we felt that we had, we had got the product to a point where we were happy with. And we essentially all handed in our notice on the same day. And, you know, three months later, we had seen it out. And by that summer, so about, about a year and a half ago, we launched Freestar. And um, we were super proud of this process because the end result actually cut down our overall carbon emissions um, in the process of actually creating our beer. We actually emit 90% less than the industry standard. We use 80% less water. Uh, we create 70% less waste and overall we use 80% less energy than it takes to make any other alcohol-free beer. So really, uh, yeah, so really, really proud of of the process. The blending itself is kind of a fine art. We we have to measure everything out to the micromilliliter, add it in, in a specific order. But two months after we launched in August, 2019, uh, we actually won the World Beer Award for the best low alcohol beer in the UK. And we kind of immediately validated, I guess, with our kind of process that uh, this was something that was going to work.
0: Um, yeah, you're, so, you're onto something here.
1: Exactly. And, and so we're really proud of the product and the way it's made. Um, since then, I should say that there have been loads of advancements in the way that people are making alcohol-free beer. And I would say that there isn't one right way. There are tons of other independent small brands just like us creating absolutely delicious, phenomenally made alcohol-free beers. and even though some of them are doing it the old way, which is maybe has less, you know, is is not as environmentally beneficial. Their flavor is still great. And there are so many, so much dedication now to the category, people caring so much more about the category. As you said, it's really a hot trend that actually the the leaps in product development have just come on. and um, And now we're sat in what was, you know, it, there was a huge stigma around this category five years ago. You know, people, mm. people, and even still to this day, you speak to most people who are not in the industry or who are not early adopters of the category. You know, what do you think of alcohol free beer? And the, and the, and the reaction 99.9% out of 10, <laughs> out 99% of the time is, um, is that they're like, you know, they'll turn their faces up and be like, oh, no, I've had a, had a caliber back in the day once or you know oh my they, yeah, <laughs> um, they were going
0: back some years there yeah they would have had some
1: terrible experience or maybe they bought a six-pack by accident in the supermarket <laughs> you know um, and 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 essentially most people have had a poor experience of it so now that there's a this great suite of brands that have actually joined the category and they're all really high quality and there's you know, there's a ton of beers who sit alongside us on the shelf in Sainsbury's or Ricardo, for instance, who is super proud to be there with. And um, everyone's got their own way of creating their delicious flavor. And so it's um, it's just a great time to be alive in this category. It feels a bit like the kind of early days of the gin explosion as well, yeah. um, you know, just with better products coming and more innovation and more excitement and more consumer. Take up of the category, more bars and restaurants expanding their range, more retail expanding their range, so it's um it's an exciting time to be in no and low
0: Yeah, and I think it's a category that appeals to a wide range of people as well because they, I know that the and you've probably done a lot more market research on this than I have, but in terms of the the what I will call the next generation coming through, have a lot more focus on kind of what they're putting in their body. Really, in terms of an alcohol is a major part of that. Whereas, you know, people of my age, uh, I'm in my my forties now. You know, we were, for want of a better phrase, bought up on alcohol, and um, you know, now I I've got to a point where uh, taking the weight off is far more difficult than putting it on. <laughs> I'm I'm very conscious about the the quantity of alcohol that I put in my body mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So actually, finding a a, a beer for me. That satisfies that kind of. I've just cut the grass, and I need a a quenching mm. beer to 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 satisfy that that thirst. Is is now kind of what I look for. So that's quite a wide range. I can't imagine I'm, I'm the only one that thinks that way.
1: Yeah, no, you're totally right. And 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 the different generations do have different occasions, and you know, I guess need states for picking up alcohol-free beer. Mm. You're right in terms of you know, yeah. Gen X, your generation is much more focused on that kind of reward element without any of the, the kind of the compromise, either from a health perspective or, you know, keeping a kind of a clear mind perspective. They've got kids to look after or whatever. Yeah. And then the younger generation, which, you know, we call Gen Zennials, which kind of sits between Gen Z and Millennial. I like that. Um, is, is, is that they're, they're also health conscious, but they're also highly productive and you know they want to do stuff with their life they've got side hustles and they've got jobs and they're trying to you know they're all trying to you know crack the job market which is incredibly tough uh for these for these for this generation mm. and so keeping a clear head is 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 important but also necessary if they're going to wake up and do whatever they need to do to uh, to be productive and then there's an added element of uh which is often reported in the press around social media and you know their lives being essentially online and therefore if you are that guy who gets completely out of their head and you know videos go up online it's a kind of a fear of being shamed I guess um you know they don't want to be they don't want to get out of their head and so a much more kind of calm balanced lifestyle is much more appealing to to them slash us I should say I'm, I know I'm I'm early 30s so I'm millennial right but it's interesting i guess the way that we look at it you can look at it through the demographic split and there's really useful ways of doing that but there's also just a a more a wider moderation trend which is much more around behavior and actually the fact is that um, regardless of generation people are just more mindful of their bodies of their lifestyle and and actually there's a general trend towards healthier lifestyles and wellness and being more conscious and and so even though individual demographics and generations will have different individual needs and behaviours, the fact is we as a as a population are gravitating towards a life more balanced and more healthy. Um, and alcohol free beer fits really nicely in there because, as you say, it has this great balance of refreshment but also reward. Yeah, you know, you're not going to get the reward having done a job like cutting the grass or whatever from from a ribena
0: yeah you can say that again (laughs) and um
1: and you're not going to get that kind of like clean refreshment from you know an alcohol full beer because you're going to have you're going to be compromising on uh as you say either calories or the alcohol or whatever yeah but freestar as a brand positions itself We, we we're we're very much targeted on the millennial and gen z audience you know we are we felt from our own perspective that, you know, even though the likes of Heineken Zero Zero existed when we started, um, it wasn't talking to us as a generation, it was talking to an older demographic, it was talking to maybe the Heineken drinker who wanted to have, you know, a round off. And although that is an exciting part of the market, the real opportunity we feel is being driven by young people. Um and, you know, we as a kind of I say we as in like a gen z and millennial we are you know a, an incredibly large segment of the population but also the segment of the population who's really coming into purchasing power and is actually going to be driving tra- yep. driving trends and it's funny because this is actually one of the only trends that i've seen where actually the behavior has changed before the brands have adapted towards it so you know if you look at if you look at yeah so if you look at something like like gin and tonic, for instance, that we were just talking about, you know, you think about Hendrix and Fevertree and Sipsmith, you know, these are the guys that really built that trend, you know, without them, the gin and tonic boom probably wouldn't have happened. Um, right. There wasn't, there wasn't necessarily a bunch of consumers who are just desperate for gin and tonics. It was built by these brands, the same thing with, you know, energy drinks and Red Bull. Whereas this trend is actually being driven by behavior and now you're seeing the brands this huge proliferation of drinks brands trying to catch up and enter the market and you know I've got my Google Alerts set you know to non alcoholic and alcoholic free and all this stuff, so you know mm. there's 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 a ton of launches every single week globally. And the big brands are all trying to pivot towards it. You know, every single day I see a new big brand coming out of their alcohol-free version. Stella have got an alcohol-free version, you know, Corona, every single one of these beers and our Gordons, you know, et cetera. Yeah. And you're just seeing the brands trying to catch up with the trend um, in a kind of interesting inverse. Yeah, it's, it's just it's interesting because I hadn't seen that before. So, so Freestar exists because the trend is being driven by young people, as you mentioned. Free star exists for that generation and we're positioned you know in central parts of cities we are um, right in the heart of london as i say we go above and beyond in in places where young people are drinking and eating and shopping and hanging out and socializing so you know you'll find us everywhere from uh you know gig venues like village underground and earth um, and you'll find us in, you know, food halls like Pot Brixton and Vinny Yard and Flatiron Square. And, yeah. and, you know, we really need to marry that distribution with the, the brand aspiration. Yes.
0: Yeah. And you're absolutely right what you said earlier as well about this, the, the stigma that existed five years ago. If you're going out with a group of mates, the only reason that you weren't allowed to drink was if you were driving pretty much, you know, in mm. terms of your, your social circle. But nowadays, you know, you can just, I mean, you should have been able to say this all along, but you can just say, no, I just want to keep a clear head or or whatever. It's just such a, it, it's great to see that the, the I suppose it's only just getting started, really. Yeah. And that the, uh, I suppose I, I thought of something there as we were chatting about the fact that it's a bit like Mercedes and Aston Martin and Jaguar and all these so-called premium car brands, Seeing that there's a trend in crossovers, and actually mm. going, okay, so we're gonna we're gonna produce a crossover now, even though that's not, that's not something that we've ever done before. Same principle, I suppose, for the big brands in uh, in the beer categories to go, okay, well we kind of need to jump on board with this, otherwise we're going to get left behind.
1: Definitely, definitely, and, and you know the global beer consumption has been declining for years, um, or at least remained flat. So they need to innovate into places which are growing. But also, as you say, it's reflective of, of the kind of the way that the stigma is is changing. And you're, it's, still, it's still slow. I think mean, it's not slow, sorry. It's still small. I think, you know, us being, I guess, in the hospitality industry or in the center of major cities, you get to see these trends, you know, at the very beginning of them, mm. because, you know, more broadly, there is still a stigma attached. And there's actually a, a great stat I saw the other day, which was that 55% of men feel awkward in social situations without a drink in their hand, you know, so more than half of men. Right? And, and and you know, we've all been there, right? It's, whether it's a, a, a work event, or a wedding, or whatever, you know, you're sat there, you maybe don't know that many people, you're having a few conversations here and there. But, you know, immediate first kind of thing to do to kind of, uh, I guess, to relax or to make to make it look like you, you are doing something, you do know someone, is go get a drink, you know, head to the bar. And at that moment, unless it's quite a progressive bar and they've got a great selection of alcohol-free drinks, you're probably going to be left with like an orange juice, you know, from the carton or some sort of elderflower cordial or something, you know, if it's one of these yeah. networking events or, or whatever. And so you end up having a beer, even though it's kind of Tuesday at like 4 p.m. and you don't really want one. You know, there's this still a natural inclination and even even myself you know that still happened to me so there's it, it still will take time for like the mainstream to fully take it on yeah but you're totally right in that it's changing and there's some really in there's some really important conversations happening beyond drinks you know around like you know male mental health is becoming a much less taboo subject and so you know if someone is to say as you said like no i just need to keep a clear head in the pub then actually you're totally right a lot more people will Will respect that and not pry and not shame them into drinking a beer at yeah. that time so there's there are some really good uh, positive kind of broader trends as well which i think are contributing but as it becomes more and more yeah kind of ubiquitous and that you know every time you get to a, a pub or a bar the menu has a no and low section or you know even better in our view you know you look at the beer section and you've got the kind of the prices and the abv you know, down the yeah. side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can just pick and choose depending on how you're feeling. And there are some great mid level beers out there as well, you know, two percenters and three percenters and um, you know, then you could you could choose to have a you could choose I I personally a lot of the uh uh the insight we get from our audience is that actually people aren't that binary about drinking or not drinking. It's not so much of a yeah, it's not that they are kind of teetotal or not. It's much more like the flexitarian approach to uh meat. And actually you might have a night out where you'll have a range of ABVs and you might start with a 5% beer and then maybe you'll switch to an alcohol-free and then maybe you'll look at a low ABV one and you'll just moderate generally throughout the night and keep on top yep. of things. Or it could be that week or that month, but actually the kind of the idea of either being completely teetotal for months or weeks on end and then you know switching it off and switching it on in kind of quite aggressive ways... It doesn't actually reflect the way people are actually behaving, and um, and so yeah, we're yeah, so we're much more I guess yeah we look at it much more in this kind of non-binary uh, what we call A B various way
0: right yeah like that you get they're uh, coming up with their own uh, language now as well
1: <laughs> doing our best yeah
0: <laughs> I want to go back if you'll permit me to the the over four hundred recipes because to me in my brain that's that's a lot of recipes was there any point in that process where you were thinking we're just not getting this or we're not getting closer or uh, or with with every blend that you did 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 you then feel like oh we're, we're kind of trickling towards our goal here
1: yes I mean there were there were definitely some very low moments where we were like you know we've now we've now tasted X number of recipes and, you know, we don't feel like we've made that much progress. And, you know, there's this thing called the sunk cost fallacy, you know, where you spent a lot of money and time doing something and therefore you irrationally decide that you have to go through with it, you know, which which a lot of people do. Right. But it doesn't, it's complete. I can't give up. No,
0: I've popped too much in.
1: Um, And it's a complete fallacy because it's not a rational way of looking at things. It doesn't matter if you spent loads of time, if, if the product's no good then don't do it you know if the end result's no good then don't do it so there are times when you have that kind of dilemma where you're thinking like you know oh god you know i've got to go through with this because we spent so much time and energy on it but the great thing about being three people and i do have a lot of respect for solo founders because i would be wrestling with my thoughts the entire time flip-flopping you know becoming indecisive so having three people you can have a really open conversation you know you can have people who are in that moment being completely irrational and wild and then others in that moment who are being very level-headed and bringing the group back down to earth so yeah you know there were moments at that at that but we we kept on going we have there are so many different flavors and iterations of flavors and ways to create you know blends of flavors that actually you know even though we tried 400 recipes we didn't even scratch the surface you could continue on that path for many many years you know there's just You know, nature just provides us with so many wonderful different. I mean, just citrus as a category alone has got thousands of different flavors. And then you look at, you know, hops and the floral notes and the aromatic notes and the uh, the citrus, and then the barley, which has got biscuity and uh, you know, it's got smoke notes and charred notes. There's all sorts of flavors, and then you think about the, you know millions of combinations so we never really felt that we had kind of exhausted the process and therefore we just kept just on going.
0: exhausted yourself exactly <laughs>
1: um, and there is such a thing as you know palate fatigue you know you can't taste too many things in the same session because you will just end up tasting the same thing over and over and again yeah. you know
0: well, i used to use that principle when i was at, at uh, university and i first got into wine uh, yeah. and didn't didn't have a massive budget for wine so used to just buy the uh the 2.99 bottles of bulgarian cabernet sauvignon just you know the, the i was looking for the end goal yes. which was just to get <laughs> yeah. as drunk as possible for as little money as possible <laughs> and after the first couple of mouthfuls you just go actually i can cope with this
1: yeah 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 yeah. no tot- no you're totally right possibly
0: yeah. a difference a different uh take on things perhaps yeah. but i suppose the same principle
1: yeah yeah slightly different yeah cause for the fatigue maybe but um but yeah, yeah. No, so we um so we just kept on going and to be honest we were we were, we would single out you know flavors that we really like so all of a sudden we we're like okay we love this hop combination it's got a really nice element of kind of like floral top notes the citrus is really lovely and then it's just got this really wonderful kind of sits on the palate really nicely so you know, then we'd kind of safeguard that. Now let's work on the base. Let's work on the malt, and look at how we can get the body in there. And that kind of like, you know, the best part of a good beer is this lovely kind of creamy, uh, you know, kind of yeah mouthfeel, which is kind of a horrible word, but you know, how can we get that body and mouthfeel? And then you know, start bringing it together. And then, you know, actually from a flavor concept perspective, once we'd landed on that, the next challenge was actually around commercialization. So. How do we make it so all of these ingredients, these wonderful natural ingredients that we've used, you know, don't end up making our beer cost five quid? You know? um, yeah. Because because it hadn't been done before in this way, so it's quite expensive to to use all of these ingredients to replace the complexity of alcohol and
0: yeast. I also imagine that there's a, a a transition phase that perhaps just because you're using certain percentages when you're doing very small batch to to taste, when you transition that into bigger batch to you know more you know so that you can produce more does it move over exactly that way or do you have to tweak it
1: no that yeah that that is a um that is a real problem as well scaling up and essentially the bigger vessel that you go into so you know start, you're doing start off with like 100 litre trial batches then 1000 then 5000 now we do 10 20000 litre runs and mm. you know i mean the the analysis i use is that if you're going to make a, a shepherd's pie for one person and then you want to make a shepherd's pie for 20 people, you will not get that exact recipe and times everything by 20. Because if you do use 20 times the amount of salt, for instance, as a single shepherd's pie in and in, in, for the tw- 20 person shepherd's pie, it's going to be a complete overload. Um, you know, yeah. things react at different levels in the scale. So you have to tweak the recipe as you scale up in order to get the balance right. And you know, from what we're tasting at lab kind of, you know, what they call kind of bench tasting and bench samples, when you're sat at the bench in the lab versus a 10,000 litre batch running, you know, at scale at speed, it's completely different, but that exists, you know, for all brewers and all drinks producers, you know, and, and food producers as well. It's, it's always a real challenge scaling up. I think the hardest part is kind of, you know, that one litre to, to 10,000. And from here, From here up, it gets it
0: gets easier. Right, got you. And I, well, I suppose with all of these different possibilities of flavor combinations, does that mean that there's also different possibilities for for future different flavors in your range?
1: Yeah, so it's um it's a really exciting part of the process. Is this that kind of door that we have that's open for innovation? Yeah, you know we can kind of do whatever we want. You know, um, and we, we you know in a funny way we're quite proud of not being beholden to any kind of tradition or heritage you know we're not trying to be uh, and don't get this the wrong way we're not trying to be respectful to ancient brewing techniques or histories it as much as we love like you know my favorite beer is a is a bavarian pilsner for instance my favorite full-strength beer you know i love traditional brewing and beers but we feel like within this category actually there's so much scope for innovation and new ingredients because there's no alcohol in there because people are as you say you know looking for this kind of reward and these different like midweek moments there is a different a slightly different occasion to beer there's actually a lot of scope to to innovate and our process allows us to essentially do whatever we want brewing can be quite you know constrictive i guess it can you know you can only really use elements which are going to be able to withstand you know certain processes like heat and the kind of the the malting process etc so with the blending approach we can actually introduce whatever we like and we don't know what those are going to be yet and I and I wouldn't be able to tell you because we simply have been focusing on our current product and we believe that we need to make yeah. this product a success in order to really build out any other future range so I don't have sadly any idea what they're going to be but um but the door there is completely wide open and you know there's no real limit to what we could introduce as ingredients you know
0: yeah, 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 yeah. But well, but I, well, I think you're you're right as well. Because obviously you're you've been faced with sort of putting on hold challenges. Let's call them that that have been brought around by by COVID, because mm-hmm. of obviously hospitality is not not open and there to to support your growth.
1: Exactly, exactly. I think the best way a business can a, a premium drinks business can grow. Is with that uh, within that hospitality channel, and um, we've essentially yeah we've essentially been you know we spent the last year kind of treading water. We've kept our team really lean. We've um, really focused on our retail customers and um, you know our online activity, um, which, yeah. which 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 many people have done. But we're just desperate for the the world of hospitality to reopen because of that. As I mentioned earlier, you know there's just this wonderful association with drinks and experiences and you know if you go for an incredible meal at a great restaurant and you discover a brilliant wine you know you'll remember that wine with an extra level of fondness than you would if you had ordered it at home and had it with you know the tuna bake that you make every night you know yeah. <laughs> um, whereas or the same with a beer, you know, you go, you go to a gig at Brixton Academy and you see your favorite band playing, you get this great beer and, you know, you hadn't had it before and you're like, oh, it's delicious. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got these memories which are attached to that beer. I mean, we all have it with holiday beers, right? You know, there's this, I don't know, you've got a great holiday in your memory. You went to Portugal and, you know, you had a, this great local beer and, you know, forever that beer will have these Memories attached to it, and this fondness attached to it and it's the same with hospitality and drinks brands is that you know if, if we can enhance or or sit alongside that amazing experience that the hospitality industry creates through food through music through atmosphere and whatever the, the experiences these days are so so far reaching and and diverse If a drink can be a part of that, then all of a sudden it can it can live alongside these great memories and for us that is the best way to build a brand and so you know in normal times we would be heavily focused on what we call experience led customers and i mentioned yeah. some of them earlier but you know live music gig venues multi food kind of retail you know market halls these kind of food halls these kind of places yeah and then you know there's a huge wide range of of kind of exciting new experiences in hospitality as well. I mean, we see competitive sports bars, you know, table tennis bars and darts bars, you know, exploding. You've got kind of, there's an amazing virtual reality bar and in, um, in Haggerston where Freestyle is stocked called Otherworld. I went there and Bjork released a virtual reality experience as an album. Um, and so you kind of, wow. you go into this booth, you've got the headset on and you're transported to Iceland where Bjork is from and you go through all 45 minutes of her like 10 track album as you kind of transport through Iceland and you're like flying over volcanoes and into glaciers and all sorts and it's really mad but it's kind of the perfect place for an alcohol-free drink you probably wouldn't want to do it if you'd had an alcohol full drink um yeah but, but it was packed before the pandemic, you know. That kind of place obviously is closed. It's on, it's indoors, it's in booths, you're touching loads of stuff, you know. It's you know, yeah, but, but really innovative. So, so yeah, so experiences within the hospitality industry have been a huge focus for us, and uh, yeah, we're desperate for them to come back, back to life. Yeah, mm.
0: it's nearly here, nearly here. Yeah, we're, um, we're sat here a week out from uh. From partial reopening, let's call it that. We're not fully yet. That's uh, hopefully coming in May. All going well, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's um well. It I suppose with a positive head on, then it's it sounds like it it could be a really positive year for you guys.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think we're full of optimism. Yeah, we we, we feel like the industry is also gaining in optimism from the conversations we're having. Yeah, we're gonna plan. To have a bumper summer, we are definitely going to have to remain versatile and kind of nimble though, because I wouldn't want to, you know, overcommit to festivals, for instance, without knowing exactly what's going to, you know, what's going to happen. Course, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, there are ways that a small brand like us can do that by the assets that we create and the kind of, you know, make sure they're both useful for something like a festival or you know something something smaller but we believe that yeah we believe that actually we'll be you know we'll be back to some form of normalcy by june and we'll be able to engage with consumers and sample and you know bring the brand to life in all the ways that we've dreamed of been able to do it been able we've dreamed of being able to be doing mm. you know last summer um and this summer and you know the hospitality industry is is I guess, have been unfairly singled out from a kind of COVID restriction perspective. But I think that message is starting to land and people are starting to realise. And I'm hoping that, you know, yeah, that they'll continue, you know, I think some of the, the, you know, in in the periods where we haven't been locked down, I think some of the cleanest, safest places I've been have been restaurants and bars compared to, you know, office blocks and places like that with zero kind of COVID rules. Absolutely. You know, I've been incredibly impressed by uh, the way that the the hospitality industry is, has just has just pivoted their entire you know business yeah. into being covid safe
0: you know? well and the um the, they spent a lot of companies spent a lot of money in making that the case as well and mm. um and i think there's a there's a, a definitely a deep frustration around the fact that surely going into a a high street shop is less safe mm. than actually going into a perfectly managed and socially distanced restaurant experience totally. you know it's just it's uh it's just it's illogical at times when you look at the reasoning as to to why things are the way they are, but I suppose at the end of the day it is what it is and we've kind of just got to get on with it.
1: Yeah, no, totally. And I think but that's what I've been so impressed by, I think, as, from the industry as a whole, is that kind of just getting on with the attitude yeah. and just doing, you know, whatever we can to actually just continue to survive and you know, things like the restaurant kit pivot you know and these at-home experiences that all of these incredible restaurants up and down the country have now started just turning around I mean that's changing their entire business to creating something they've never done before and doing it like at speed with success you know
0: it's It's just
1: it's so impressive I mean I've got I've got one coming this weekend that I'm very excited about and yes it makes me kind of like yearn for the restaurant to be open but I'm also just grateful that I can support you know the restaurant while it while it is closed yeah and um and it's just yeah, for me it's just a really impressive industry that I think is probably one of the kind of nation's absolute jewels, you know, and yeah has has had should be protected and treated with a bit more respect than it has been, I think over the last year,
0: yeah, here here yeah I, I couldn't <laughs> have put that better myself to be honest it's um a wonderful way to um to kind of wrap it up, I suppose. What's um, I mean? I, I, we've probably covered it, but your your year ahead is literally just about getting back, supporting and and getting your your product out in as many places as you can.
1: Yeah, look, we're def- definitely building distribution. That's our number one goal. And um, yeah, if, if any. <laughs> Anyone listening who has a phenomenal bar, restaurant, pub that would like a phenomenal alcohol free beer, then please do get in touch. But we'll... and I can vouch for the fact that
0: it's phenomenal. That's not just coming from Felix. <laughs> thanks,
1: thanks, Phil. Uh, yeah, you get through any of our kind of websites, Instagram, whatever, we're really responsive. But we're also looking to grow the team. We're actually looking to hire a uh, London based sales manager, account manager. And we're going to look to grow some distribution abroad as well. So as I said, my kind of background is export and actually the alcohol-free beer market is is relatively small in the UK compared to some other countries. Okay. Free stars process meat as I, as I mentioned, zero alcohol in the process means that we can we can actually export to the Middle East and we can become halal certified of course yeah yeah, because there 's been no alcohol in there whatsoever a dealkalized beer would not be able to get halal certification because it 's had alcohol in the process, so we're looking to open up distribution in the Middle East this year um, as well as some European countries. The Scandinavians have got a really strong culture of alcohol-free drinks as well, as a result of really strict alcohol rules. They have a monopoly state-run alcohol distribution system in Sweden and Norway, which means that the shop, you can only buy alcohol between certain times and from certain shops. And so alcohol-free beer section in supermarkets has always been very big and very popular, which is interesting. Right. Spain, Germany, big alcohol-free beer markets. And so, so yeah, so export would be a, a, um, a priority for us this year. Growing the team, growing distribution in the UK, and next year I think uh, some new products as well. Fabulous!
0: Mm. Well, that sounds that's that sounds great, and I uh, I wish you guys all the the very best. I uh, I'm delighted that I have found you. I have a an online pint with my brother ev- nice. every Tuesday or Wednesday uh, every week, and you're now my my midweek drink of choice.
1: Excellent, excellent. Glad to hear it. Mine too. <laughs>
0: yeah great stuff well thank you very much if if people want to reach out to you and learn a little bit more about you or the company what's the, the the best method for them to do that
1: yeah so my email address is felix at freestar.co but we're also really available you can slide right into our dms on instagram our whatsapp number is on the website. Yeah, get in touch anyway you like and we'll be um, very responsive.
0: Wonderful. Well, Felix, thanks very much for for coming on and and sharing your story. Very, very interesting. And uh, I wish you guys all the very best for the year ahead.
1: Thanks, Phil. I really enjoyed being part of it. And um, yeah, great work on the podcast. I listened to quite a few episodes now. And... um, I love the love the insight into the industry, and um, yeah, you've had some great guests. You know, much much more impressive than myself. So I really really appreciate getting us on, and um, yeah, good luck with the continued growth of your audience.
0: Thank you. It's uh, every guest is impressive, so um, the uh, every story is as important as the next. So that's always been my kind of mantra for for this: is that there are so many different weaves and methods and you know things that you can get involved with with hospitality that i just wanted to tell as many as i can
1: nice nice we're doing a great job
0: thank you very much i think we could definitely leave it there that's a great way <laughs> to end <laughs> nice one take care cheers phil cheers Bye-bye. and there we have it a massive thank you to felix for not only sharing the story behind freestar but for producing such a wonderful no alcohol product having consumed it myself i cannot recommend it enough Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.